Welcome to the Louder Than Silence podcast with your host, C.G. Wagner. This month's episode is Boundaries. I have a good friend who is absolutely incredible at intuitively understanding what he needs and taking action accordingly. This is something I deeply admire about him, and the way he approaches the world often sets the standard for how I want to live. If he's feeling energized, he'll exercise. If he's feeling tired, he rests. If he's feeling goofy, he'll be playful. If he's feeling serious, he'll step away from the fun. If he wants to be around others, he'll hang out. If he's feeling drained, he'll go be by himself. The way he sets boundaries around what he wants and needs to be healthy and happy is truly remarkable. If someone is invading his personal space, he doesn't tolerate it. He moves. If someone is being loud and overwhelming, he distances himself from that person. He gives himself the space and time to know if he considers a person to be trustworthy. He only seeks affection from those who have earned his trust. Most of the time, people respect and support these boundaries. But I've also seen the responses he gets from people every now and again. They treat him like he owes them something, like it's an issue that he has boundaries, that there's something wrong with him because he doesn't make an exception for them and what they want from him. But he doesn't let this affect his decisions. He still does what's best for him, regardless of how others respond. He seems to understand well that their response is reflective of where they are at, not where he is at. And in case you haven't pieced this together yet, I'm talking about one of my dogs, Camino. And why him? Why not mention my other dog, Chubbs? Chubbs' adoption story is very different than Camino's. Chubbs was surrendered to the shelter when he was about five months old because the family he lived with had a sudden, long-term medical situation arise. They had treated him well, but they knew they could no longer take care of him with the additional burdens they were facing. So they cared about him enough not to neglect him, but allow him to find a place with people who could care for him well. On the other hand, Camino experienced significant trauma early in life. He was hiding out in a barn when he was rescued, clearly not being taken care of by anyone. He was significantly underweight and had never gotten basic checkups or medical care. Besides all of this, he was somehow responsible for a litter of puppies that weren't his own. So from what I can tell, He was responsible for scavenging or hunting enough food to keep several puppies alive when he didn't have enough food himself. Not exactly an easy life. Understandably, there's a lot of differences between these two pups of mine. Chubbs is carefree and lighthearted. Camino is guarded. Chubbs eats at a leisurely pace. Camino, even after seven years, is still not convinced that his next meal is a guarantee. Chubbs wants to be everyone's best friend. Camino keeps his distance. It's not to say that Chubbs has never had any issues, but they look a lot different than Camino's. 
And it's not that one of them is good and the other is bad. They live their lives in a way that reflects their past. Of course, as I've continued to provide a stable home for both of them, the effects of the trauma have diminished. But, as I pointed out, Camino still has a need for some very clear boundaries in his life. And this is a lesson for survivors of all types, including survivors of sexual violence. Boundaries are what help us feel safe after living through chaos. They help us define what belongs to us and what is under our control, since the perpetrators took what was ours. Boundaries exist for our growth and healing. They help us understand ourselves better. We are now in episode 6 of our Understanding LTS Workshops series. Each month, we are going through the topics we discuss in our workshop sessions as a way to help supporters understand our experiences and survivors of sexual violence to feel heard. In past episodes, we've looked at our patterns, perfectionism and shame cycles, coping mechanisms, and establishing healthy habits. This month's episode is all about boundaries, something that we discuss frequently in the LTS community. There's much more to this than can be discussed in one relatively brief podcast episode, but we're going to try. We are going to explore what we mean by boundaries, how a person gets to the point of having few, if any, boundaries, codependent relationships, and how to add boundaries to our lives. Okay, so step one, what do we mean by boundaries? Boundaries are simply an expression of what we need and want for ourselves. They can be with others or within ourselves. They can be temporary or permanent. They can be strict or flexible. But boundaries are a commitment to what we have prioritized for our own well-being. For example, I recently put a boundary in place for myself that I won't eat packaged snacks more than three times a week. It's a commitment that I have made to myself to promote my physical and mental well-being. It's as simple as that. You can call them rules or commitments or your whatever number of steps to success that you're following but they're all the same thing. They are guidelines for how you want to live your life. And to some of you, that may seem like a pretty straightforward idea and wonder why this is even part of a conversation at all. How does a person get to the point of having few boundaries or no boundaries at all? Well, for nearly 80% of survivors of sexual violence, they have either some level of relationship with a perpetrator, so for instance a partner, an ex-partner, a family member, or the perpetrator is in a position of authority over them, so like boss or clergy. 80%. Generally speaking, it is a person that they have regular, frequent contact with for one reason or another. And in these long-term abusive situations, perpetrators groom their victims. Grooming essentially means to slowly test and whittle down existing boundaries. It entails a significant amount of manipulation, which causes the victim to question 
if she can believe her own experiences or trust herself. Or it's a lot of minimizing the concerns raised by the victims or causing the victim to believe that she's being unreasonable for having an issue with what's happened in the first place. So this might look like a victim voicing concern over how she feels like her partner belittled her in an argument instead of her partner apologizing and them having a discussion on what it looks like to communicate well, her partner tells her that he doesn't remember saying it. Or, if he did say it, that it wouldn't be that big of a deal anyway. Her feelings and experiences are invalidated. And eventually, this pattern escalates to implied or explicit threats. The victim starts to see flashes of rage when she doesn't comply, so she starts policing herself in order to prevent the temper. In her mind, all of it is her fault. The perpetrator continues to shut her down as she is shutting herself down in order to survive. For this example, they have another argument in which she feels like her partner belittled her. Desperate, she attempts to bring it up again. This time, he begins yelling at her and telling her that he's going to tell all her friends what a terrible person she is. After all, he says that he's the only one who sees the real her and how terribly she treats him all the time. And her friends have a right to know who they are being friends with. He hounds her into apologizing to him for accusing him of such an awful thing as belittling her. Now. Every time she thinks of bringing up a complaint to him, she fears how he'll react. So it's easier not to bring it up at all. This grooming slowly strips a person of her autonomy to the point where she doesn't even know what she wants or needs anymore. Her life revolves around her abuser as they take more and more control over her life. She no longer holds her power. Someone else does. She believes that her understanding of her life is wrong and that she is required to trust someone else's perspective on what's happening above her own. But this doesn't stop just with the perpetrator. It ends up permeating all areas of life. She feels the same loss of power in every relationship and within herself. She has learned that being connected to herself and understanding what she needs is a threat to her safety. Beyond that, her energy is spent accommodating the whims of her abuser. She simply doesn't have extra energy to spend on her own behalf. So back to our example. Things get so bad with her partner that she barely ever even sees her friends anymore, but she manages to squeeze in a lunch with her best friend one day. As they are chatting, her friend grabs a fry off her plate without asking. She almost bursts into tears because those are her fries and she gets so few things that are actually hers anymore. She doesn't say anything to her friend because she can't risk losing this friendship, but she is heartbroken. She tries to tell herself that it's no big deal. It's just french fries after all. But the nagging feeling won't go away that she should have said something, but doesn't even feel like it's worth standing up for herself anymore. And this, friends, is just a tiny slice 
of what it looks like to end up in a place with no boundaries. And as I mentioned in the opening part of this, boundaries can be with ourselves or with others. Typically, the areas that we struggle with setting boundaries the most is with the people in our lives that we have relationships with. Because it is very common for survivors of sexual violence to end up in unhealthy, codependent relationships. Because of how society generally uses this term, the concept of codependent relationships has ended up with a negative connotation. But a healthy relationship between two people who are equally committed to being in a beneficial relationship with the other is codependent in the sense that you are dependent on each other emotionally to keep showing up. That is actually a good and beautiful thing. Unhealthy codependent relationships exist in several forms. One of these is a power differential between the two people. One person does not feel like she can have what she needs and wants in the relationship. Another is when both are approaching the relationship in an unhealthy way that leads to emotional porousness. They are enmeshed in their feelings. And yet another form is very common for survivors of sexual violence. In relationships where the survivor is perceived to be the quote, broken one, and the other person is the quote, hero, who is there to fix the survivor. All of this disempowers a survivor to live a good, healthy life. When this is our mindset, we are unable to separate what is happening in the other person's life from what is happening in our own lives. Their catastrophe becomes our catastrophe. Their heartbreak becomes ours. We ride the emotional roller coaster of two people's sets of emotions at the same time while trying to control the uncontrollable, the other person's experiences. Practically speaking, unhealthy codependent relationships means that a person begins taking ownership of another person's feelings, reactions, and general state of being. Instead of encouraging the other person to live their best life, it's when we try to create that life on their behalf. Often, this manifests in a survivor mitigating her needs to avoid conflict. She tries to make herself small and take up less space. Remember, for people who have lived in long-term abusive relationships, they learn to be extra tuned in to people's emotions and learn how to soothe any rough spots to avoid being targeted. Even if someone in their life isn't being abusive, it is very easy for them to fall into a pattern of unhealthy codependency until they are at a point where they can recognize the behavior for themselves. So a very common way this manifests in relationships is survivors taking on the emotional labor of the people in their lives. What this means is that we try to insulate these people from the natural ups and downs of life and from the results of their own decisions. We don't want the people we love to hurt because that makes the survivor still dealing with the undoing of the abuse cycles in her life afraid that she will be hurt. Her experiences tell her that she will be made to pay for other people's pain. 
And here are some quick examples to demonstrate the differences. If your friend's car breaks down and she calls you to pick her up from work, so you do, that's healthy codependency. If your friend lives in a place that requires a car to get around, but she let her license expire without doing anything about it, and then she calls you and wants you to pick her up from work for the fifth time this week, so you do, that's unhealthy codependency. If your partner is concerned about a difficult conversation that he needs to have with his boss and talks to you about it, that's great. That's healthy codependency. If your partner is concerned about having a difficult conversation with his boss and asks you to write out all of his talking points for him because, quote, you're better at these things, and you do, that's unhealthy codependency. If your parent is having a difficult time navigating their own trauma, goes to a therapist, and then has a conversation with you about the experience, that's healthy codependency. If your parent is having a difficult time navigating their own trauma, but won't talk to anyone else but you about it, because no one will understand them like you do, and you have this conversation repeatedly with them, that's unhealthy codependency. And because this rubs against the people-pleasing that we learned as survivors, the question comes up a lot. Isn't it good to sacrifice for others? If that is something you value and have capacity for and want to add to your life, absolutely, go ahead and sacrifice for others. Here's the difference though. Choosing to sacrifice is a conscious choice to give up something of ours like time, energy, or resources in order to love someone else well. Unhealthy codependency tells us to give up something we need in order to prevent something bad from happening. They come from two totally different sources. Sacrifice comes from a deep connectedness to yourself, understanding where you are at and what you have to give. Unhealthy codependency is an unconscious reaction that's rooted in fear. Now that we more or less know what we're talking about here and what it looks like, the natural next question is how to add boundaries to our lives. Like basically everything else we've talked about over the course of this podcast, the recommendation is to start small. Do a test run with something inconsequential with someone you trust. As you grow your tolerance in the small areas, then you can add larger and weightier boundaries in more crucial areas of your life, still with people who have proven trustworthy. From there, you can expand to even more difficult areas with people who continue to stir up struggles for you. I have often heard boundaries discussed as a way of making it clear where you end and another person begins. I mostly agree with that, but for survivors, it's needing to put an extra layer of padding or two around where you end to make sure that people don't get too close as you're working through healing. No one 
No one is entitled to your space, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or anything else. Add as much padding as you need in any area to feel safe as you sort through this process. One thing to keep in mind is that survivors tend to go all or nothing with setting boundaries with others for the first time. In attempting to set boundaries without having prior experience with it, we create giant walls that are heavily guarded. We go from 0 to 100 without stopping in the middle ground. If this happens, acknowledge it and ask yourself what it looks like to find that middle ground. Nothing has to be perfect. You like everyone else, are just trying to figure out how to live your life well. Another point of friction that people face is that the person they set the boundary with doesn't change or is still maintaining the same course of action. But remember, boundaries are a commitment to what we have prioritized for our own well-being. You cannot control other people's behaviors, and trying to do so through setting boundaries is a form of manipulation. You can only control your inputs into the situation at hand. Generally speaking, people do not like change that they did not initiate. The people you set boundaries with will feel discomfort at times. Discomfort is not bad or intolerable though. Part of boundary setting is not taking ownership of the discomfort the other person feels with the boundary we set. We can have conversations about it, certainly, but it is not up to us to work through their emotions for them. We also get to work through what it looks like for people to test or push on our boundaries. For instance, if you say no to something and someone questions it or tries to convince you otherwise, they're not respecting your boundaries. And this is information you can use to determine how to move forward. As we mentioned, people don't like change that they did not initiate. They are connected to the old patterns that you are changing, and so there will be all sorts of responses as they sort through the new normal. But it is for them to sort through, not you. Again, Having a conversation is great. You are not required to give up your well-being in order to soothe their discomfort. Something that typically catches survivors off guard as they begin setting these boundaries is the fortitude they need to have with them. It's not setting the boundary once and then it's behind you. It's reinforcing over and over again what's important to you. Sometimes it will feel like too much, and you get to decide if you want to continue forward with it or not in those moments. It will be uncomfortable, and it will be challenging some days, but this is what it looks like to create those healthy habits and new patterns that you want for yourself. Though it may seem silly that I started this conversation about boundaries with an example about Camino, There's a reason for that. 
Find someone in your life that you admire how they approach boundaries and learn from them. As I put together my thoughts for this episode, Camino was laying at my feet. Clearly, he needed some company, and I am fortunate enough to have his example of how to approach my own needs. And of course, it's helpful to have non-human examples, but having a community of humans who are all working through these things together and understand the struggle is key. We need to know that we aren't alone as we are taking on these challenges for ourselves as we heal. That is the beauty of the LTS community. There is something that feels close to magic about being in a space with people who are all committed to understanding themselves well and growing together. It is a beautiful space to learn about boundaries and test them with each other. Does that make it easy? Nope. Definitely not. But we get it. Having sentences start with, I'm going to try to set a boundary here, and then have everyone else think that's totally normal, is healing in and of itself. For survivors, until you are in a place where you can participate in a group like that, you can still do this work. Day by day, little by little. That's how healing goes. For people who support survivors, understand that you may not like their boundaries. It may make you uncomfortable, but it is your work, not theirs, to navigate your own responses. Assess if anything you are doing potentially feeds into unhealthy codependent relationship dynamics and do your part to address them as you can. See a therapist to sort through it. Survivors can't and shouldn't be expected to do their work and yours. As I have continued this work around boundaries in my life, there's been greater peace and greater freedom. I understand myself better and what it looks like for me to pursue health as I grow. Of course, life isn't somehow easy all the time just because I'm on this journey, but it is less heavy each step of the way. And friends, you can and will experience this too as you take these steps forward. Taking action on what brings you a good life will get you there one day at a time. Thank you for listening to the Louder Than Silence podcast. If you'd like more information about our organization, visit us at louderthansilence.org and sign up for our newsletter or follow us on Instagram at louderthansilence.org. If you like our work, please consider donating today. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for the most current episodes. See you next month.